Thanks for checking out the weekly Harmony Church podcast. For more information and resources about Harmony Church or any of the Harmony events, check out the Harmony Church website or Harmony Church Facebook page today. Good morning, everybody. One of my great privileges in life is being able to meet people like Gideon and Catherine. They are some of the most exceptional people you will meet on the planet. They just have a real heart for the things of God and have an excellence about them. And they are just fun people who, who really love the Lord and really love uh, this city and this region and are phenomenal, phenomenal pastors. I can tell you that from interacting with different places all over the world, being involved in different kinds of churches and, and activities uh, in many different places, I can tell you that there is a favor of God on this house and region by having this couple here. Would you guys just take a moment, put your hands together and thank God for Gideon and Catherine. Come on. All right, let's try that again. Put your hands together and thank God for Gideon and Catherine. <laughs> I just think they're fantastic people. And so I'm really honored to count them as friends. One of the other privileges I have is being able to do ministry with my wife. She is, well, she's the most beautiful woman on the planet. And she is in, in incredibly intelligent and very talented. Last time I came here last year, uh, you guys tolerated me and it was great, but she has been able to come along this year and uh, just has been enjoying uh, bringing us into the presence of God together. And she did teaching yesterday. There's so much that she carries as a person that, um, you know, she... She didn't bring necessarily in this particular trip, but she has so much uh, that she carries as a person, highly prophetic, really hears from the Lord. And I want to ask her to come up here because the Lord's been talking to her about some things regarding uh, New Zealand. And I think it would be very wise for you guys to be able to hear this for a moment. And so here's my wife, Micah Joy Williams. Thank you. Well, this is my first time in your country, and I love it. It's wonderful. We have a friend who um, grew up in Wellington, and so she um, is so happy that we're here, and she's looking at all our pictures on social media and just drooling over being here in New Zealand again. Um, she lives in America with us. So, um, But anyway, as I was flying over here, I asked the Lord just to talk to me about New Zealand, and I just wrote down what he said, and I just want to share it with you and just agree with God's ideas about who you are and what he sees here in this nation. So the first thing, okay, <laughs> the first thing that I heard him say is that New Zealanders are the watchers, that you observe and you see what's going on, not just in your country, but in the world. And I just see that you have an ear to hear what God is saying and what culture is saying. And I just see that you are like the in-between, like you're the ones that stand in the gap between the world and heaven, and that you hear what's being resounded out through both. And I hear that you're the alarm sounders, that you're the ones that say, pay attention, look at this, notice this. And with that, I see you. In scripture, it talks about how important it is in a battle cry 
that the one who calls forth the action, that calls forth in, this, in the Bible times it was with a trumpet, that that would be a clear signal so that those that were rallied to battle, that were rallied to war, would know which direction or what to do or which section was going forward or staying back. And I just see that you hold the trumpet to your lips and that you call for a response with clarity and unity. And that you walk, and I heard this three times, you walk in communication, communication, communication. I just hear God saying that over your church especially, that God has really given you people that are gifted in communication, your pastors, um, watching this beautiful video presentation that was just for announcements, like, that's it. That was beautiful. That communication gift is something that God really values and treasures in you and that he's trusting you with that. And so I just see him giving you even more um, favor with communication and that there's going to be a breakthrough that you've been asking for better equipment. You've been asking for um, even more skilled people. And I just see God trusting you with that because he wants you to break through any barriers. I don't know if this is true, but any barriers that the church has had in New Zealand for communication that you've kind of hit a ceiling of like expectation that the church doesn't have good communication or the church isn't something to listen to, whatever that is. And so I just see God trusting you with that and moving beyond the expectations that church has boring communication. Can you say amen to that this morning? And the last thing I saw is that you're rooted and grounded in love. And again, I feel like this is for your church specifically, that you understand what it means to have your feet, have your person resting in a place of love, not trying to get to love, but that you stand firm on a foundation of love. And so I just wanna bless you with that this morning and just agree for that. So if that resonates with you, I just invite you to agree with this this morning. So Father, I thank you that how you see Harmony Church is a church that is gifted in communication, but is also rooted and grounded in love. I thank you that as they hear the cry of the culture and as they hear the cry of heaven, that they know how to call for unity and action with clarity. And so I just release that right now. Father, I thank you for bringing more clarity to their vision, more clarity to their message. And Father, I thank you that they would be able to, I just see you like putting words in the mouths of people that they have this something that's inside of them they don't know how to verbalize. That I see you saying, this is what you're looking for. And when they hear it, this oh yes, that's exactly what I've been looking for, comes from their spirit to say, that's what I've been looking for my whole life. So Father, I thank you for bringing them together with culture here and in heaven, and Father, releasing how you see this nation through this church, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, thanks babe, oh, I like her. Hey, if this is a new idea for you and you're like, what was that just about? Well, uh, the Bible is actually, uh, it's really a book that's very much connected with God talking to people. And so what my wife was just doing was saying, hey, I was spending time with God, and he was talking to me about this place, and she was just sharing what she believed God was telling her. And so that's really very central. What I love about Christianity is it's not an adherence to some type of philosophical worldview. It's actually an invitation for relationship with the creator of everything. 
And uh, so it's really beautiful that we're invited to have relationship with God and do life with God. And, you know, things really take off to a whole, a whole nother level when you do that. Think about if you have any kids or you've played with kids that you find that you're able to help them do more than what they could do on their own. When you're playing with them, you get down on their level, but you also bring them up, right? You, you help them play and do things that they couldn't do on their own. In the same way, life really takes on whole new possibilities when you do it with God. You can try to do things on your, your own level if you want to, but I don't know about you. I want to actually see what's possible in life if I do something with the creator of the universe, if he's interested in that, and according to the Bible, he is. So it's really fun being able to do life with the most intelligent, most loving, most creative, most powerful being to ever exist. It's a, it makes life an adventure and gives true purpose and context for living. So just wanted to give a little bit of understanding if, if what was shared is, if you were wondering, what was that about? It's just God talking, and he wants to talk to you too, all right? So I'm really excited about being here and, and uh, the things that are happening on, uh, happened over this weekend. I hope that it really helped connect with some people and what God wants to do in this particular region and in your areas of influence. Uh, for this morning, I want to ask you to go to your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Uh, while you're doing that, if you want to stay connected with my wife a little more, you, my wife and I a little more, you can look us up on Facebook. Uh, we have a Facebook page called Life Ministries International, and we also have a ministry. Uh, you can go to our website. It is releasinglife.org, releasinglife.org, and uh, you can get connected with us there. In about six weeks, I'm scheduled to go and preach to about 100,000 people uh, and I can't tell you where, but I'm preaching over this place. It's going to be fantastic. If you want to know more about that, I'd be happy to tell you uh, over a message or in person later on, because uh, we really believe that God is doing amazing things all over the world, including right here in Christ Church. All right, you there, Matthew chapter 16? One person is. All right, Matthew chapter 16, I'm going to get started, and I'm going to read verses 13 to 18. It says, now... When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, or Simon the son of Jonah, because flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or hell will not overpower it. All right, that's kind of a little bit of, a little bit of the verse we're going to kind of park in here this morning. Let's take a moment and pray as we prepare our hearts for this message. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're a really good teacher, and I thank you that you have some great things to do and say in people's lives. Here this morning in, in Christ Church and Harmony Church, Christ, Christ Church New Zealand and Harmony Church, we just bless what you're doing. I ask you to give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Give us the ability to understand and the power to live out what you show us. Let Jesus be glorified in this house today. To the glory of the Father, in the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so you just got to meet my wife just a moment ago, and 
We've been married for 16 years. We have two daughters, 10-year-old and a five-year-old, and uh, they're at home alone because they're old enough. I'm just kidding. They're not at home alone. They're with uh, Micah's mom, having some grandma time. And, uh, but 16 years ago, we got married. And I remember the first time I met my wife. It was in college. And uh, when my first year of college, I got a job at the, uh, at the college itself in the housekeeping department so I can have enough food to buy ramen noodles. I don't know what you guys do out here in college, but you do what you can. And so I was trying to do what I can, and, and I was running one of these big floor scrubber machines, you know, these big giant machines, and, and uh, I was over on her hallway, and she was one of the leaders in, uh, in, in her hallway, and she decided to be polite to come and to talk to me. So she came over and chatted with me for a few moments, just being polite, eating a bowl of uh, oatmeal, and I looked over, and I saw this gorgeous woman. She had green eyes, brown hair, and, and this voice. She was saying something, but I heard something like, blah, blah, blah. I, I'm awesome. <laughs> Somewhere along the way, right after this, this moment, I had something happen in my heart. And you may not agree with this, or what, I know a lot of people say this kind of things, but I knew right when I met her, God said to me, that's your wife. A lot of people say that and they're wrong, but I happen to be right. <laughs> it, it, it took a little while for her to realize that, which is my fault, because I told her that in about two weeks after we met each other <laughs> and uh, scared her off for about a year and a half, but that's a whole nother, a whole nother story. Thank God that she's a woman of God and he brought her back around and forced her to marry me. And, uh, <laughs> but see, the reason... <laughs> She's saying that's not true. Uh, but the reason I bring this up is because in that moment when I knew who she was supposed to be to me and who I was supposed to be to her, it changed everything. It changed my position and my heart towards her. She wasn't another face in the crowd. She wasn't another friend. She wasn't another woman that was out there. She was the one. You know what I'm talking about. She was the one. And, and what happened is when I gave my life to her, she gave her life to me, it was in this moment that I said no to every other woman and said yes to one. My position with her was not where I was around all other possible women that could be in my life and to say that I'll just add her to the flock. She wasn't one of the women in my life. She was the one woman in my life, right? It changed my understanding of who she was and who I was to her determined how I interacted with her, how I related to her, how I planned and how I thought, how I organized my day, how I spent my thoughts, how I spent my money, how I spent my time. All the dynamics of my life have been wrapped around this one understanding. I know that this woman is my wife. Even during that time where I had scared her off for a year and a half, I thought, well, maybe I just missed it. And I started trying to, to see if I could date some other people. And I would get severely convicted by the Lord. He would ask me this question, why are you with someone else's wife? <laughs> and then I would tell him that and tell them, the Lord told me I'm supposed to marry Micah. 
I can't be with you, sorry. Because I knew she wasn't somebody in the crowd. She was the one. See, who you marry, who you commit your life to, who commits your life to you, that's one of the most important decisions that you can make. And you understand that when you do that, it settles how you relate to that person and how you relate to everybody else goes through the filter of the one you've given your life to. That's a very, very important decision. Don't make it super fast. Don't make it without hearing from God. Don't make it without counting the cost because when you say yes to one person, you're saying no to everyone else. You're not marrying somebody because of how they can perform for you. You're not marrying somebody just because they're trying to make you happier. You're marrying, you're giving your life to someone even though you haven't met everybody else. There's a lot of great women but they're not supposed to be my wife. <laughs> it's a very important decision that we make related to our spouses. You guys awake today? <laughs> That's an important decision, but even a more important decision is how we relate to God. Jesus asked these questions. He asked two things to these people. He said, who do other people say that I am? And then he said, who do you say that I am? The answer to these questions will determine every single aspect of our lives. It will determine how we relate to God with how we answer these two questions. And all of us start with the first one. All of us start with trying to hear the opinions and ideas of others related to Jesus. So he even starts there. Who do others say that I am? And there's, a, there's people that have opinions about Jesus. I don't know if you knew this or not. People have a lot of opinions about him. And you can be surrounded by those opinions and, and you're trying to hear from those. And so here, you, in, in, in this context, it says that they, they think that you're one of, one of the prophets. Or you might be this one. Or maybe you're John the Baptist. Or maybe you're this other one. They have opinions of trying to figure out who Jesus was. And, and in our context, somebody might say, well, Jesus is, is just a made-up character. Do you know there's some people who believe Jesus didn't actually exist? Do you know that? It's phenomenal. Not very many people hold that opinion anymore because it, it, it's not very tenable. The reason it, it's not very tenable is because there's so much evidence for the existence of someone named Jesus who actually walked the planet that's very difficult to, for someone to still believe that there wasn't a real historical figure named Jesus of Nazareth. There's more material proving his existence, that he was a real person, and, and all the things that happened uh, for his life than any other ancient historic figure on the planet. Now think about that, he only did three years of ministry. And there's more written about him, not just the Bible, but many places, more written about Jesus than any other person on the planet. So not very many people hold that, so I'm not gonna park there, but there are people that believe that, and, and I think that's because they want to believe he wasn't real. But there are other people that say, well, yeah, I'll give you that. Jesus actually did walk the planet. There was a historical guy named Jesus. But he definitely wasn't the son of God because God doesn't exist. So he's just some random guy that people added this idea to because we can't believe Jesus is the son of God if God doesn't exist. And then I'll ask, like, why do you believe 
God doesn't exist. And they say, well, I'll give you a couple reasons. One, science has disproved the existence of God. Two, because there's evil in the world. If there was a God, then evil would not exist. These are some two, there are two primary uh, ideas and arguments within, in at least the Western culture. I don't know if this, is, are these kind of prevalent here too? Yeah, okay. So these are two primary ideas that many people, when they enter into like college or they enter into some, some uh, uh, society where there's a group of people trying to, to do things even in politics and in other dynamics where these ideas are very prevalent and they're pushed on people, right? And so let's take a moment and deal with them. So uh, number one, science. Why don't we look at that for just a moment? Because if, if you don't believe that God exists, it's hard to move on from that to Jesus himself. And so they'll say, well, science has disproven God. Are you sure? Are you sure science has, has proven that God doesn't exist? It's interesting to think about. I, 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 I would suggest to you that we've put too much weight on science. We're trying to put requirements on science that it can't hold. Let me give you an example. Science can't prove that you exist. Think about it. There is no scientific evidence that you are not a computer simulation. There is no scientific evidence that you are not a brain with no body floating around in the universe and that all your memories and everything around you are completely made up. It cannot prove that that's not true. In fact, there are people in the history that have believed those two things seriously. But you believe you exist because that's the only way you can function. But there's actually no proof you do. And science can't prove it. So if science cannot prove that you exist, why would we put the weight of God on it? <laughs> All right. Science can't prove anything. I know, they don't tell you this in school. The only thing that can have a real proof on it is mathematics. All that science can do is point somewhere. It cannot prove. Science can't even prove that science works. Okay. Now, if science can't prove something, it can only point somewhere, then we need to look at where is it pointing, right? So where does science point in relation to the existence of God? Right now, science tells us that all of reality that, as we know it, time, space, and all material came into existence at a, at a specific point in time. And that before that moment, there was no space-time and no material. That's what it tells us right now. Do you know they didn't always believe that? For many years, scientists told the world that all the cosmos was eternal. And when they started to figure out that it wasn't, actually in the, the most prestigious magazine on the world, in the world called, on science called Nature, posted an article and said, don't tell other people that we're finding this out because it'll give too much credence for people that believe in God. They actually tried to hide the information from, from Christians. So now we know that 
everything that exists, time, space, and material, had a moment where it came into existence. All right, that's in place. Now let's look at something else. Another fact is science tells us that everything that comes into existence did not come into existence on its own. Anything that came into existence has a cause that brought it into existence. You can't say the old bootstrapping. You can't pick yourself up by your own bootstraps. You have to have something else that gets it going. Cause and effect, right? Okay, so science says if something came into existence, then it had to have something outside of that in order to get it going. Now you put them together. The universe came into existence. It couldn't have done it on its own. So if the universe consists of space-time and material, it means something outside of space-time and material is the one that got it started. Which means the one who got it started, whatever it was, is immaterial, extremely intelligent, extremely powerful, and outside of time. Guess what Christians call God? It's kind of our definition of God. Where does science point? Something outside of itself shows. Now, I, I could give you many different kinds of proofs and evidence that point towards uh, the existence of God. In fact, I have many of them in the book, Robbing Hell. If you've been wrestling with the belief in God and that kind of thing, I've got a, a whole chapter that deals with that kind of stuff in here. I wanted to highlight one of them here for you this morning because that's a very common one. Another thing that people wrestle with is the area of evil. Everybody say evil. Never knew you were gonna say the word evil in church. It's evil. If God is real, then why is there evil? All right, I'm glad you asked. So here's the thing. If God does not exist, then there is no evil. Evil actually proves the existence of God. You see, evil, pay attention to this, evil is actually the twisting of good. You can never have evil on its own. It's always in relation to the standard of good. You can have good on its own, but you cannot have evil apart from good. You guys follow me? Okay, it's very, this, we want to get this right. Let me put it this way. If you, if you think of a mother nursing her child, you don't think that mother is doing good because it's in relation to her hurting the child. You think the mother's doing good because it's good. But if you have someone that murders someone else, we think that, that is wrong. That is evil. Why? Because they shouldn't have done that. It's in relation to what was right. It was in relation to what is good. You understand the difference? You can have good that stands on its own. It's not in comparison to evil. It's good because it's good, but you cannot have evil that stands on its own, which tells you this. If God does not exist, then evil and good don't exist, which means the nursing mother and the murderer are the same. There is no difference between them. if there is no absolute good. Now, you have to work really, really hard to convince yourself 
that those two groups are the same. You have to work really hard to try to make yourself believe that a nursing mother is the same as someone who's murdering somebody. You know that's not right. You know they're not the same. Intuitively, inside of you, you know there is good and there is evil. And so if there is good and if there is evil, then there is a standard of good and one outside of space and time and material that sets what is right and what is wrong. No matter whether people believe it or not, it is still good, it is still evil, and there is someone who sets the standard, and that is the definition of God. So science has not disproven the existence of God. It actually points that way. There are many cosmologists and biologists who are believing in God more and more because fine-tuning of the universe. Think about this. Let me just say this for fun. I heard somebody give this analogy. If you were at a firing squad and 100 people shot at you and you heard all the guns go off and then you realized you weren't dead, you should be suspicious. <laughs> but there are some people that promote this idea that fine-tuning of the universe, in other words, what it takes for life to exist and all the dynamics of how uh, biology exists, that all of those are just happenstance. It's just the way it happens to be. We just happen to be on this planet and just happen to, happen to exist, so it doesn't matter. There's nothing to see here. Move on. But listen... It's not, if you survive that kind of shooting, you should think something's up. And all the dynamics that it takes for you to exist in this moment are way, way beyond the firing squad of 100 people firing at you. Way, not even close. What that means for us is we should be suspicious. It is unscientific to disregard all the dynamics that it takes for us to exist and just say it's the way it is. And there's a lot of people just try to brush that under the rug, but there are some people that are saying, I'm looking to square the face, and this doesn't make sense. One of the leading atheists in the world's name was Anthony Flew. He ended up believing in God because he stopped putting under the rug the dynamics of the complexity of life. So science does not disprove God. It points towards something bigger than us. Morality does not disprove God. It points towards the need and the truth of someone or something good. Okay? Now, Jesus asked them, what do others say? That's what some people say regarding Jesus. And, and they say, okay, well, maybe that's the case. Maybe there is a God, but Jesus definitely isn't the son of God. Jesus, you know, there are people that will tell you Jesus never thought of himself as the son of God. That was things that were added on to him later on. My question is, are you sure? There are people that believe that the Bible has been rewritten. We don't have the original ones and you can't trust it. And it's just people that added things on to Jesus and Jesus didn't live that way. He didn't think of himself as unique, special, the Messiah or the son of God. He was just trying to have people have good attitudes. Are you sure? We have more manuscripts, early manuscripts of the Bible than any other book on the planet. Thousands. We have more confidence in the truth of the Bible than any other book on the planet. 
So we know that we have. These are manuscripts that are from the first century that somebody living during that time wrote. All right. That's the Bible itself. But what about Jesus? How did he think about himself? Let me, let me help you out. Mark chapter 12, Jesus told a story. Is it too early to put our thinking caps on this morning? You guys okay? Mark chapter 12, Jesus told this story. And he said that there was a guy, a man who owned a vineyard and he rented out some people. And then he started sending some of his workers, his hired hands to go check on what was going on. And the people started beating up the workers and uh, started sending them out. And And the owner of the vineyard found out about it. And he said this in the, in the story, he said he's going to send, last of all, uh, in verse 5, and he sent another, then they killed, and also others beating them, killing them. Verse 6, and he had one more to send. Everybody say one more. Let me just let that settle for a second. Jesus said he had, the owner had one more to send. A beloved son. And he sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. And he goes on, they didn't respect the son, they murdered him. Okay? Now, what is important to understand here is the end of it, in verse 13, they were seeking to seize Jesus, or 12, seeking to seize him, yet they feared the people. They understood that he told this parable about them. (laughs) They knew what Jesus was saying. They were saying God was the owner of the vineyard and he had sent prophet and leader after leader to these people and they were beating them and murdering them. You can find this in the Old Testament. Happened again and again and again. And then Jesus said, and then he's gonna send one more, his son. He wasn't talking about a future group of people that God would send his son to. He was talking about them, and they knew it. Jesus understood himself in this parable as the beloved, unique son that the the owner of the vineyard was sending. And he was prophesying that they were going to murder him. Now, here's important, is even those who believe the Bible has been altered believe that this passage is true. That is from the original manuscripts. And part of it is because This doesn't give a hint to the resurrection. It doesn't have, you look at criteria for determining what something is true and what something is not true. One of those is embarrassment and one of those is extra information you wouldn't know until after the fact. And so this information has embarrassment in it. It has the son being defeated. It doesn't end with the son victorious. It leaves the son dead. And secondly, if Christians made this up later, then the likelihood of them adding that the, that that son came back to life and beat everybody up would have been added. Okay? And so that's why even people that don't believe, they use that criteria and go, this right here is one of the original things Jesus said. In this parable, you see how Jesus thinks about himself. He thought about himself as the beloved son unique to the father. Merry Christmas. There's many more. I have them in this book. Okay. You guys all right? Okay. I'm going to help you out. We need to understand this. Let me give you a couple more things here, and then I'm going to wrap up. 
Jesus, that's talking about how Jesus viewed himself, how he positioned himself. He believed that he had the authority to make new commandments in his own name. In Matthew chapter five, which uh, even faiths that don't believe that Jesus is the son of God will tell you the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter five, are legitimate and they're good. But think about it. In Matthew chapter five, where Jesus is given the Beatitudes, he said, you have heard it said, but I say to you. There is no prophet any time that has ever spoken their own authority. They all say, this is what God says. They're talking about the way Jesus thought about himself. Now, what Jesus was quoting in Matthew chapter five were Bible verses. Can you imagine somebody standing at this pulpit reading you a verse of the Bible and then telling you, you've heard this said in your Bible, but I say to you something different. You would be like, uh, nope. You're out, right? That's what he did. He read them their own Bible and said, you've heard that say, but I say to you. And he said, furthermore, I give you a new command. Love each other as I have loved you. Jesus assumed he had the authority to do new commandments. That tells you the way he thought about himself. Jesus believed he had the authority to forgive sins. Now, if I did something against you and you forgave me, that'd be very kind of you. But if I did something against you and then my wife walked over and said, don't worry about it, I forgive you, then you might scratch your head and go, uh... How can you forgive me? It didn't even happen to you. But that's what Jesus did. He walked into circumstances where someone didn't personally do something against him and said, I forgive you. And they knew that that was blasphemous because they said only God can forgive sins. This happened multiple times. One time there was a guy who was paralyzed and Jesus said, all right, is it easier for me to say I forgive you or to command this guy to be healed? That's a good question to think about. But in the moment, he just went for it and said, rise up. In my name, I tell you, rise up. And the guy got up completely healed to prove that he could forgive sins. And they knew only God could. What does that say about how Jesus thought about himself? Furthermore, Jesus received worship. When you read your Bible or any other book that has a prophet in it, the prophets and the leaders do not receive worship. The Bible has times where people fell at their face. They say, get up. I am just one of you. I'm just a servant of God. Even angels say, no, I'm, I'm just a servant of God. Don't worship me. But the Bible says that Jesus received worship and didn't stop people from doing it. Consider this phrase for just a moment. John chapter 20. Jesus appears to Thomas. And he says, here, touch me. I'm not a ghost. I ate some fish and chips with the guys earlier. And then verse 24, or 20, 28, after he, Thomas inter, interacts with Jesus. Thomas answered. Everybody say answered. There was a response. Jesus didn't even ask him a question. But an encounter with Jesus requires a response. There was a response, and Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. 
And Jesus said, because you have seen me, you believed. He didn't say, no, I'm just a fellow servant like you. He said, you got it. You believe the truth. I am your Lord and I am your God. Jesus believed himself to be God. (laughs) I could go on with more things, but they're in the book. When you begin to understand this, then it requires a response from our hearts. Jesus moved on from there, and he began to show evidence in his own life and ministry where you had in Luke chapter 7, John the Baptist sent some people over to him and said, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? You're the one we've been waiting for, the one that has been prophesied over. And Jesus responded back to them, go and tell them all the things you've seen. Go and tell them about the miracles, signs, and wonders recorded in Scripture like healing the blind and having the poor preach to them and, all, and the, the lame being healed, the, de- the, the deaf being healed. These are things that throughout the Old Testament were related to only something that God could do. Even the people had said, no one has seen the blind healed. But Jesus was doing it. And so he said, this proves, there are two things that proved. One was looking back at the prophetic words in the Old Testament related to who the Messiah, who the Son of God would be as evidence. So he's looking at scripture. And the second thing he looked at was the miracles. Look at the miracles that were happening. These specific miracles showed the deity of Jesus Christ. He healed people, fulfilled scripture. That's the way he viewed himself. I am the one you've been waiting for. Daniel chapter 2 and later on in, in, uh, in other places in Daniel, Jesus, you see why Jesus referred to himself as the son of man. He was fulfilling the scriptures. In Daniel, he spoke about the son of man. And that's why he called himself that. And that son of man was the Messiah. All right. So as we consider the proof of God's existence and Jesus being who he said he was, we also need to understand that Jesus still heals people today. So I'm actually going to invite my wife up because the question is, does he still do it? Let's find out. So we're going to release to you some words. These are ailments and pains, and we're going to say a quick prayer and see who gets healed. There's no music, no manipulation. No side articles. We're not hyping it up. We're just going to call some things out to you. See what happens. All right. If you have one of these things going on, then uh, I want you to raise your hand so we can see it. Wave at us, okay? All right. So one is a right shoulder pain. I don't know if you can't raise your arm up over here. Okay. Uh, And anyone else? It can be more. Okay, several back here. And then there was a specific, like, pain in the mid-back. Right, right in the area where, I don't know if you can't back over this way, I don't know if it was arthritis or, or something, but something right there in the mid-back. I had a sharp pain in the end of this finger right here. Does that mean something to anyone? It was really strong right on the tip. Anyone have that? Okay, and then I saw um, something with the neck um, where there was an injury where you had to keep right there, where you had to keep your head um, straight because it hurt to bend it, turn it. Is that anyone? Raise your hand. Okay. 
All right, great. And then the last one, I have this um, pain right under the ribs. And it's my right side, but it could be your right or your left. Is there anyone that has that pain there? Okay. Anyone else in the back? Okay, great. All right, in just a moment, we're, I'm going to say a quick prayer for you. Thanks, babe. You're awesome. Give me five. My hand's up. Don't leave me hanging. There we go. All right. I'm going to say a prayer for you, but while we're getting ready to pray, I want to include one more, one more idea here. If you knew something was a lie, would you die for it? Now, you might be willing to die for something that you think is true, even though it's a lie. But you, I would be very surprised if you were willing to die for something that you knew was a lie and it would benefit no one. Another evidence of who Jesus is was the death of his followers. They all believed to the point of death that Jesus rose from the dead. The next generation after them, if they were lied to, maybe they would die for that if they, they, they believed it, but there's no way those who actually walked with Jesus, all of them would believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Somebody would have cracked and said, sorry, we're just joking. It's all a lie. They didn't get any benefit. Not their family wasn't benefited. Their businesses weren't benefited. There's absolutely zero benefit for them to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. One of the most strongest evidences that Jesus really rose from the dead was the death of his followers. And you can know historically, not just in the Bible, but in history outside of Scripture, that his, his immediate followers, all of them but one, were killed. And all the way to the grave, they said, Jesus rose from the dead. I saw him myself. Yeah. Who do people say that I am? All right, I'm gonna pray for your healing. Holy Spirit, I welcome you here and I glorify the name of Jesus in this house. And I release healing. I submit to the authority of Jesus and I release healing into all these things that have been named and people that have responded. And I command the pain to go, for mobility to come, for things to be done now in the name of Jesus. I welcome your ministering spirits to go in the name of Jesus to all of these people. In the name of Jesus, pain, leave, ailment, go in the name of Jesus. All right, if there is something, in fact, let's do this for just a second. I want to ask everybody here to stand to your feet. We're going to sit back down in just a minute, but I'm having you stand up because we just prayed, and it's hard to test it out if you're sitting. So if you raise your hand, you had something going on, you can try it out. Move the body part around if, if you can. Test it out. Move it. Move it. Get the groove on. Move it. Move it. All right. As you test it out right now, before we prayed, it was on a level 10 pain, not, not five years ago, but right now before we prayed. Uh, who here would raise their hand and said, you have an improvement that's happened just right now? It feels different. It feels improved. Back here. Back this way. Over this way. Try it out. Move them. All right, I'm going to pray one more time. We've had some improvement. We're going to see some more. God, I thank you for what you've already done. And I thank you that when someone prayed for me and I was almost completely deaf, that I was instantly healed. 
I release that in this house in the name of Jesus. And I command all pain to leave these bodies in the name of Jesus. All right, try it out again. Try them out. If you don't know, unless you try. All right, that being said, wave at me. Feel improvement, wave at me. Over here, over here, over here, over here. Over here, awesome. Sweet. If we had time, I'd get some of those stories. I want you guys to tell the pastor, send those in so they can thank Jesus with you. We don't have time to bring everybody up and talk to them. So right here, right now, we had about half a dozen people raise their hands that Jesus just healed on the spot. That's pretty awesome. Come on. All right, you can be seated. You want more prayer? We're going to have a prayer team up here in just a minute or you can receive some more prayer and get healing, okay? Jesus still heals today. It's amazing. All right. So we've looked at what other people have said, but there comes a point where we need to face the question for ourselves, right? We can't stay in a place where we're just thinking about what other people said. Jesus started there, and we all do. What do other people say about me? But then he turns it and makes it much more personal. And I want to ask everybody here for just a moment. I want to ask you to close your eyes. I want you to see Jesus is now making this personal for you. And he's asking you this question this morning. Everyone listen. Who do you say that I am? Jesus believed that he was worth following and giving up all of our lives for. He believed if we give our lives to him, then we can start the journey for why we were made. Jesus believed that we give our lives to him, we're forgiven for everything we've ever done wrong and given a new start. Jesus healed people even here this morning, right now. Jesus has a purpose for your life. Right after he said this to Peter, and Peter, right, he said this, and then Peter replied, said, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You're the one we've been waiting on. You are the Son of God. Jesus replied to him and said, you're right, and now I want to show you a purpose for your life. Our starting place for fulfilling the reason we were made for is by giving our lives to Jesus. And maybe there's some people here this morning that you said some kind of prayer years ago, but you know you're not following him today, if you were to be honest. I'm not saying that you had a bad week or something like that. I'm saying you know you're not walking with God, but you want to. Today's a great day to get things right with God. Today's a great, way, great day to draw the line in the sand and say, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe in you, and I want to follow you. Maybe you're here and you've never done those at all, but you know there's got to be more. You want to give your life to Jesus, then you can start the reason you were made for. 
In just a moment, I'm going to give everybody here a chance. Just as Jesus asked them, he's asking you right now. He's looking at you. Who do you say that I am? How you answer that question is going to determine how you relate to him. Just like how I answered the understanding that Micah was my wife determined how I would relate to her. This is the most important question you can answer. How do you relate to him? When I count to three, everyone here who says, I want things right with God today. If you're somebody who has turned away from God in some way, and you want to just settle it and say, you know, I'm crossing the line. I know I'm loved. I'm wanted. And I just want to settle this thing in my heart today. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand just a moment. Not yet. And the, Anyone here who's saying, I've never done that, but I want Jesus. I want the life that he has for me. I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. But only if you mean it. Everyone's eyes are closed. This is a very important decision. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you mean it. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks about you. This is the most important decision you can make. At the count of three, don't wait, don't hesitate, don't worry about anybody else. Do you want to get things right with God because you believe he is who he said he was? One, two, three. Let me see your hands quickly, quickly. Quickly, quickly, quickly. Okay. I want to ask everyone here to stand to your feet for just a moment. There were hands that went up all over the building. We're about to close this service, but this is so important. I need to park here for a minute. The Bible tells us that when we give our lives to Jesus, that we come into the family of God, and it's like, we become a baby. I have two daughters. They were born in our family. They're part of my family. I love them. But they still had to grow and to get to know mom and dad. So all of us start as a baby, but it's just the beginning. Those who are getting things right with God are going to pray with you today. And you're going to be like a baby. And there are going to be people here that are going to help you learn how to grow into the life that Jesus died so that you could live. But there are some people here that you should have raised your hand and you didn't. Don't worry, I'm not counting you out. I know you're out there. You know you're supposed to. Your heart was beating and you know that's God saying, my hand is on you. I want you. So in just a moment, I'm going to ask something. I will need everyone here to be brave. In just a moment, those who raise their hands and those that should have raised your hands, I'm going to ask you to join me up at the front here. And you won't be the only one. There are many hands that went up. But I'm going to ask you to join me up here in the front because I want to pray with you. And I want to help you in just a moment. And this right here is going to show, did you mean it? When you raised your hand and you said, I want to get things right with God, did you mean it? And if you didn't raise your hand, this is your chance to get in. Right now is very important. Don't wait. Don't worry about somebody else. Are you right with God? Do you want to get things right with God? Now is the time to do it. So 
with, at this front altar, if you raise your hand across the building, or you didn't and you knew you're supposed to, in the name of Jesus, I want you to come right now and come and meet me at the front. Now, come on. There's a bunch of you raise your hand, start moving out. Come quickly, come quickly, come quickly. Come quickly. All the way across the front. There are more. Come on, they're coming. Now, while they are coming, I want you, all the people that are standing here, I want you to look at the person next to you. Look them in the eye. It's not a joke. Look at them in the eye and say, do you need to go up front? If you do, I'll go with you. Please don't make it a joke. Please don't make it a joke. Look at somebody around you. You need to come up front, then come on. Come quickly. Come quickly. If you need to come up, bring the person with you. Bring the person with you. Bring the person with you. Friends, people are getting right with God all across this building right now. Can somebody put their hands together? Come on up to the front. Come on up to the front. Come on up to the front. Thank you, Jesus. Quickly, quickly, quickly. There's still more coming. Thank you, God. If you're watching this online, you can pray with me as well, and I want you to send a message to the church so they know you did. The Bible tells us that when we ask Jesus to be in charge of our lives, then we get completely right with God. He forgives us of everything we've ever done wrong, and he helps us to start to live a life that we were made for. Jesus was a real person. God, the son of God, that walked the earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and rose again on the third day. And he's the one that can change our lives. And the Bible says we confess him as Lord and believe God raised him from the dead. Then he comes, he changes everything in us. And the way we do that is we talk to God. And so I'm gonna help everybody here talk to God about this. And I want everybody that that is in this room to say these words with me. They're not a magic formula and they only matter if we mean it. Those that responded, you're not saying a magic formula. You need to believe this and say it to God. If you're watching online, then you need to say this out loud. Everybody use their voice and talk to God this morning in the name of Jesus. Here we go. God, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I thank you for loving me. And today, I love you back. Thank you that Jesus came and died on the cross and rose from the dead. In this place, today, I confess and I declare that Jesus is my Lord. I give you my life. I thank you for forgiveness for everything I've ever done wrong. I give you my past. I give you my present. I give you my future. Show me what it means to know you and to live the life I was made to live. Be my Lord, be my Savior, and be my best friend. In Jesus' name, amen.
Now, I have a question for all of those that came up. How many here would nod your head, raise your hand, look at me and say, I meant what I prayed just now? Okay. If you meant it, it's done. And I want to welcome you to the family. Where's Tim at? Where's Tim? Raise your hand. I don't see you. Tim, where's Tim? Over there? I told all of you that responded that when we do what we just did, we come into the family of God as a baby. And this is Tim here. He's one of the leaders at the church. He's got some things for you to help you because you're all just babies. And he's got some things to help you out because you were made not just to be a baby, but to grow into what God created you for. And he's going to help you get started on that journey. So he's going to take you over what direction? Follow Tim to the back. He's going to help you out. While they follow him, all of you follow Tim. Even if you went up, brought somebody up, everybody follow Tim out this way. And while they're going out that way, I want everybody in the congregation, put your hands together and let's thank God. Follow Tim. This guy right here. Never mind you. Come on, you can do better than that. More, come on, keep it going. Keep it going, all the way. I hope that your faith was boosted a little bit here today and you were encouraged God is real. Jesus is who he said he was. You're not insane. This is a real deal. (laughs) And I want to encourage you to pursue God, know him, share about him with other people, invite them to this house. It's a great place to be a part of. If you know someone that doesn't know Jesus, invite him to the service tonight. We're going to go after this thing again. going to have a different message for tonight. But come on out tonight because Jesus is crazy about your loved ones. All right, we close in prayer. And they're going to close they're going to close in a song. In Jesus name, I bless all of these people and I pray for your hand to be on them for miracle signs and wonders for them to know you for themselves, to make you known in this city. In Jesus name. Amen.